0: hello everyone and welcome to bench busted a fantasy football podcast as always presented by me and jack how are you today jack
1: yeah not too bad not too bad obviously a slightly different Podcast this time around because of course the Premier League season is over. It's been done for a couple of weeks now, so we are turning our attentions elsewhere in terms of fantasy football. We, we certainly are. Um I know that there's no fantasy games associated with
0: it, but I do just want to spend the first couple of minutes just gloating about the Champions League final. I'm a Chelsea fan, I've spent all season saying that Chelsea would win the Champions League. I think you can go back to <laughs> can you go back to the round of 16 when we're talking about that and I'm saying that Chelsea oh Jack, it feels really it feels really good to not just be right. But to be really right, to be so right about something like this, it's almost like Sheffield United. But now I'm predicting winners instead. And and bear that in mind for when we're talking about the Euros as well, because it could be that I just pick the winner straight away. You know. Did you like the Champions League final, by the way? Did you have a chance to watch it? I presume you did.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did watch it. Certainly from like a a pure football standpoint, I feel like there was a, a lot of, I don't know. In some of the social circles that I'm in, there was a lot of negativity about it and how boring it was and, you know, no one really liked it and they were expecting a lot of goals and I sort of very strongly disagreed with it because I thought it was a good game. I thought it was a very, very interesting tactical battle between both Pep Guardiola and Thomas Tuchel. And I I honestly, I don't understand why people are getting so upset about it because we know that, you know, when you've got two sides who have been defensively sound throughout, well, certainly Chelsea for the last half of the season since Thomas Tuchel came in and sort of reorganised that back line, they have been so difficult to break down. And that City side as well, you know, they are, from where they were at the start of the season, they have improved significantly. And I feel like it was always going to be a very cagey affair. And I, I did think that, you know, maybe one or two goals would would decide it. And and in the end, it was 1-0 to Chelsea in that final. So, you know, I, I think... Yes, OK, it would have been great if there were more goals, but I feel like the the tactical battle that was going on on the pitch was certainly an interesting spectacle, shall we say.
0: It's funny that you say tactical battle because, in my opinion, I think it was tactical domination and there was no battle at all, really. Um, the way that Chelsea lined up with, with five at the back meant the, the, that they had, because the, the there was only ever two midfield runners into the box, When when Man City attacked and had the ball, Bernardo Silva and Gundogan didn't do anything close to what we sort of have seen them do this season, and even like two seasons ago in in Bernardo Silva's case when he used to be used to be a good fantasy football asset, didn't he? At one point in time, Uh, you didn't get any of that, and um, it was all quite comfortable for Chelsea, in my opinion. I I was worried about a couple of players coming on. I was worried about Ferran Torres and Cancelo coming on because I thought that they might change the shape and change the way that Man City attacked but he, he kept the same shape and he, he kept plugging away at the same the same attacking style and and honestly it looked very comfortable for for Chelsea I know that they had a couple of like ooh, maybe maybe Foden will do something magical but that was it and, and for me it was very um very comfortable and I, I I move immediately on to the Euros because I think the big link here that I'm that I'm pitching at is that Chelsea obviously played five at the back and um we're gonna we're gonna introduce the Euros properly but remember that. Remember that Chelsea played five at the back in a second when we're talking about how some of the big boy international teams are starting to line up. We might start to see some trends forming. But onwards to the Euros. It starts next Friday, I think, on the 11th with, with Italy versus Turkey. We've started making our teams. There's a couple of rules that are different in, in this fantasy football compared to the Premier League fantasy football in that you can make some substitutions during the week you can also swap your captain once during the i say game week they call it, they call it a match day which is quite confusing so you can swap your captain once as well so if you captain someone in the earlier fixtures you can then swap it to someone who's in the later fixtures which um which makes some of the teams in the earlier groups like a and b and and possibly c d a lot more uh, a lot better looking actually that that's that's the phrase for it some belgian and english assets perhaps there's also, and this is this is part of the strategy, uh, well, there's rolling transfers that get bigger and bigger as the weeks go on and more teams get eliminated after the group stage. There's a free wild card after the end of the group stage. And there's my favourite chip, the, the chip that, that I, I love this to bits, that um, you don't have in, in fantasy football, but it'd be fun if you did, called Limitless, where you just get to you get to pick any player you want. Price isn't an issue, and I think that's that's outrageous what are you making of all these sort of these rule changes the way it's set up is it something that's that's exciting
1: you well yeah I, I think it certainly means that you've got to you know if, if you want to take it seriously then you definitely have to pay attention to your team I think that that is certainly what they're trying to do is they're trying to encourage everyone who wants to get involved that they have to you know they can't just set and forget their team and make a couple of transfers after each round uh, you, you actually have to sort of strategically plan your team and actively change your team in between not only not only the match days, but of obviously in between the days within the match day. It's a very good way to go about it. It is something that they use, obviously, in the... I think that they use it in the world cup fantasy as well i think that that's something that you can do is is you can change your captain across and certainly i think that that is something that they use in the uh, champions league fantasy as well is is if you if you have your captain's armband on a player who is playing on the tuesday night and they don't do so well you can then switch it on to someone who's playing on a wednesday night so they, they have taken it from other you know they, they have taken inspiration from other versions of fantasy football which i think is great i think limitless as you say is i mean it's it's crazy so so when i saw the limitless chip i just thought okay you know this is just a fancy name for a free hit i didn't realize that it was you just have no budget restrictions as you say so you can essentially use it and just fill your team with these big hitting players who have got favorable fixtures who will hopefully return and get you massive massive points which as you say it's insane and I would love it if we had something like that in FPL so if, if if the free hit was changed where you could just completely load your team up with all of the best players I mean I think it would make for a lot of chaos and I think it would make for a lot of big scores, certainly in double game weeks as well but yeah I mean it's, it's insane um, and I think as well the caveat of having an extra wild card as it were so you can set your your team up for The group stages initially and then revamp your team as you go into the knockout round. I I think that's great as well.
0: It is. There's some there's some fun features here. And um with it being such a short tournament, I think Limitless is one of those chips that you have to use. I've seen a lot of people talking about using it almost in the second game week or the third game week, and just targeting as many of the good fixtures as you can while there are still good fixtures, because as soon as you get into the round of 16 you're, you're coming up, you're, all of the teams are playing other teams that have come, you know, top half of their groups or in the best place third teams, which I've, I've never really liked, by the way, as a, as a sort of a side note. I don't like I don't like that part of it. But, but you want to not do that. You want to have all of your teams playing against all the teams that are cut, going to come bottom of their group and get hammered every game, which is uh, why you sort of want to use it in the first and the second week. And it means that you can also target Either second or third week fixtures where even in the group of death, there are obviously huge hitting players that you want to target. Um the group of death is is France, Germany, Portugal, and Hungary. And you sort of want to target whoever's playing Hungary. So I believe in game week two that that's France, if if I'm if I'm right. Yes. In Game Week Two it's France, and in Game Week 3 it's Germany. So if you play your limitless chip in game week two, you can try and pick up all of the big expensive French boys if you want. I mean there are a lot of them. They're all listed as forwards most. Well, yeah, I'm going to say they're all listed as forwards. I know that Mbappe's a forward, 12 mil. Benzema's a forward, 10 mil. Uh, is Griezmann 11 mil and a forward as well? Yes, he is. So, phew, I don't know. I get really excited talking about it because I just want a team that costs like 15 mil on the pitch. I might... <laughs> It's one of those things, isn't it, where you're always making transfers and you're always bringing players who who cost more because you think that means that they're going to be intrinsically better. I think Maris versus Foden was an example of that this season at City where I sort of made a mistake doing that, I think, in the end. So it'll be it'll be fantastic to see how that plays out. Um I think what we'll do for this podcast is is we'll talk about our initial thoughts, our initial team ideas and, and the players that we think are dead set, the players that we're sort of umming and aring about, and then defenders, because defenders is an absolute <laughs> it's just shots in the dark, I think, for most of it, where we're sort of trying to work out who'll we'll play. Me personally, I've been looking at, while I've been making my team, I've been looking at the formations and, and the players that have played in the World Cup qualifiers and in some cases the, the Euro qualifiers or the Nations League to try and get a feel for who might see the pitch and who might be part of the starting 11s. But uh, there are also games that are happening yesterday, now, over the weekend, um, sort of the warm-up friendly games but like, even those, like, they don't really tell us everything. I, I'm still umming and ahhing about whether Kevin De Bruyne, who picked up an injury... Well, you might not know that Kevin De Bruyne picked up an injury in the Champions League final because you didn't notice him on the pitch before it, and you certainly didn't notice him on the pitch after it. <laughs> it didn't change anything for me, but he did. He picked up an injury. He fractured his orbital, I believe, which I don't know if that keeps you out. Sometimes you can just wear a mask. So there's a lot There's a lot going on. There's loads to think about. Have you been... Well, I was going to ask if you've been approaching it in a similar way Jack but 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 how have you been approaching it
1: when the uh, game got released and you know you could go into it and they release all of the prices and stuff we still didn't have the Full sort of, or we had all of the players who were included in the provisional squads. Obviously, now the the squads have been locked in place. They had to do that a couple of days ago on on the first of June. So all of the teams had to get their squads in place, and I believe that the the game now has updated to only have the players who have been named in the twenty six man squads. And I think you know, initially, as you do all the time, even with FPL as well, you'll go into it and you'll be like, okay, I'm gonna just pick a team with players that I like um, and you sort of just go out on a whim initially and then as you say you do start to look back at some of the international stats um, and certainly how the players individually have been doing uh, in terms of the leagues this season and then again you've got the injuries you've got the international friendlies as you say Where hopefully we can get some kind of indication as to who the starting players are going to be. But I mentioned it to you before we started recording the podcast. I I sort of view these friendlies as the ideal time to get some game time into the legs of the players who are going to be starting in your team. And a lot of the time, managers will field players who have maybe missed the cut because maybe they feel a bit sympathetic. Towards those players for missing out, and and you don't really get a a good idea of who's actually going to be playing. You of course have to take into account the injuries as well as you say, uh, the likes of Maguire as well as uh, KDB being out. Who I think are you know I know Maguire has a mistake or two in him, but I think certainly in that England side he is instrumental in terms of organising that back line. And certainly I would rather have Maguire and someone else in the centre than not have Maguire at all. So. I think that there are there are certainly some key players who are still doubtful for the tournament. So yeah, it's just a combination of things, really. Like I say, I mean, I have got a team together as I know that you have as well. And initially, as I say, I, I didn't, I wasn't really looking into it too much. It was pretty much just go out on a whim. There have been changes to the team, no doubt, of course, with the international games and and what have you. But yeah, it's a uh, very interesting. I think that there are some positions that basically pick themselves but i think as you say certainly in the defensive department there are players who perhaps aren't nailed on or as nailed as you would like to hope that they are and they are at that sort of tricky price point and and it's difficult to try and make a choice as to whether or not you want to take a risk on them playing or do you just go for someone who's maybe a bit more nailed on maybe a bit more expensive or someone who is cheaper but is also nailed on it's um it's interesting it's interesting that's for sure
0: yeah yeah and I'm about to ask you a big question I've got my team up I'm looking at my team and I'm trying to count how many players I think we will both we we haven't spoken at all about who we're going to pick in our teams um uh, well actually we spoke a little bit afterwards just now before the podcast started but we haven't actually made these teams with any any conversation at all and I'm looking at my team and I think that my team actually, I think I'm going to have a couple midfielders, all three forwards, I think, pick themselves as well, as you said. So it'll be very, I think I think half my team is going to match your team, Jack. I, I really do.
1: Oh, well, this is it. I, I, I think certainly after today, I, I wish I had more time before we started recording this because I would have changed my team around because I think that my my team's in an okay place, but I definitely feel like there are places to change it. And, and it's something that I'm looking at in terms of actively changing it as we speak, because I'm, I'm looking at my team now and I've definitely made maybe one too many compromises in my team. And and like I say, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's trying to find the players who we think are going to start two, maybe even three of the group stage games and, and trying to capitalize on that. As you mentioned earlier, with the Limitless chip as well, I mean, I guess you can play it in the first week if you really want to just go all out. But I feel like, as you say, a lot of people are potentially targeting playing it in week two, which basically means that you, when you're setting up your team at the moment, you only really need to be aware of who your players are playing in game week one and game week three, or match day one, match day three, rather, in the group stages, because of course that Limitless chip, you change your team and then it reverts back to the team that you had in match day one. So that's something that I need to look into a bit more and sort of restructure my team if I was to go that strategy of course but I think that that's looking like the the most likely strategy because as you say as well as you mentioned earlier it's a, a strategy that allows you to load up on the quote unquote better players whilst they still have the better fixtures available to them because after the group stages I think that every game is difficult I mean I think that even in the group stages every game is not a foregone conclusion because just to get to the European competition you know you have you've had to go through the qualifying stages some teams have had to even go through preliminary rounds and, and 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 all of that sort of stuff so I think that every team in their own right deserves to be there and all of the players certainly deserve to be in the tournament but yeah it's uh very difficult to try and pinpoint some of the uh value options as it were certainly in the uh attacking department
0: I I, I agree I entirely agree it's, it's I think midfield has been the hardest sort of area to identify good value options I think what I'll do is I'll start by p- picking the player that I think should be in 100% of teams. Um, I assume that he's in your team as well, although I'm not really sure about this. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a gamble. I'm going to say, get ready. I, I don't. I actually genuinely don't think you, you'd be able to predict this in a million years. The player that should be in 100% of teams. He's only in 34% of teams. Is Lucas Heladecki, the the Finnish goalkeeper. He's 4.0 in the game. He's a starting goalkeeper for Finland. And he should certainly 100% be in your team as bench fodder um, at the very least. You you could make an argument for starting him, but he should just be in every single team because the people who have made the game have made a mistake and they've accidentally priced him too low, believing that a different Finnish goalkeeper would start. Herod is one of the top 20 goalkeepers in the world. Absolutely starts for Finland. Absolutely costs 4.0. Jack, do you have him in your team?
1: Of course I do. Of course I do. Oh. He is he is sat on the bench at the moment. I mean, for all of the reasons that you mentioned above, you know, he's had a fantastic year uh, this season. I think he plays for Bayern Leverkusen, is it, in the Bundesliga? So I think that he's, you know, he's been fantastic between the sticks for, for them, that's for sure. And I mean, you look at that group that he's in. He's Yes, he's in the group of Belgium who are arguably one of the best teams going into the tournament and I you know they they scored the most goals in the qualifying round which I know was you know a couple of years ago now because obviously this tournament has been postponed but they open up the tournament against Denmark which again you know Denmark they're not renowned for their goal scoring threat let's say and then they've got Russia again I I think those are certainly two teams where if he's not keeping a clean sheet he's certainly making quite a few saves across those two matches and maybe even in the game against Belgium he could make quite a few saves in that one as well although I I assume that it will be in a losing effort so he's certainly in my team and as you say 4.0 someone is going to sit on your bench who basically starts for that country every single game why would you not have him in your team? Literally a no-brainer. I think. I think actually, we've made jokes all season about
0: if you don't have like Robertson or whatever, you're you're not taking. <laughs> if you don't have Herodecki in your team, you are genuinely not taking this game seriously. It, it, I think that's very. Fair, I think that's absolutely fair enough, if you ask me. Although the other goalkeeping choice, we don't. I, I know for a fact we don't have the same. I I I've pumped for and I can't pronounce his name. K- Kakia, Sakir. I struggle and and i apologize for that the the turkish number one who is actually starting for turkey today in case you were wondering it's not the other chap whose name evades me but it, it, he is the gold turkish goalkeeper he's only 4.5 and i fancy turkey to well i think their group looks quite sort of non-attacking especially with sort of the italians and the swiss it doesn't look hard it doesn't look easy so it's non-attacking whereas um And and I like to save the money, to be honest. If if, if I'm being honest with you, I'm just looking to to get a cheap 4.5 goalkeeper in. Um, I know that you haven't gone for him though, Jack. Who who have you gone for?
1: So I think I've probably gone a bit too obvious with my goalkeeper pick. Um, He's definitely a lot more expensive than uh, Kakia in goal for Turkey. I've gone with Donnarumma at the moment, purely based on the fact that, you know, everyone knows how defensively sound Italy are and have been over countless number of international tournaments. I know, of course, their sort of golden era of defenders have come and gone. I mean, I know that Chiellini and and Benucci are still sort of hanging around by the skin of their teeth. But um, yeah, you know, Italy, very, very solid defensively. There's not really much more to say there. I think that Donnarumma is, yeah, he is that number one. He's still so, so young as well. and, And to be securing that number one spot... For Italy, it's just fantastic for him, and you know the only, I guess the only downside for Donnarumma is that potentially he's not going to be making a lot of saves because I feel like that that Italian defensive line will probably do more than enough to stop the ball from getting anywhere near him half the time. So I don't know how many points he's going to get from saves alone, but I think that in terms of clean sheets and certainly in in that group, I would say that their hardest game is the game. Against Turkey in in the first game of Match Day One, so I feel like Wales, yeah, maybe they could cause him a bit of trouble. But if you look past Gareth Bale, is there anyone in that Wales side who really stands out as causing him a bit of a bit of trouble? I don't really think that there is. So you know, I've just gone plain and simple. As I say, he's five point five, so maybe a bit more on the expensive side. But uh, I'm certainly open to to changing him uh, if I can. Get myself some Italian defensive coverage. Yeah, no,
0: I think he's a good. I think
1: he's a good pick. He's actually the third most owned goalkeeper
0: in 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 the game. I like their stats. Italy, obviously, very historically defensive. Turkey have put up good stats. Another team that have put up good stats recently defensively. Who again? This goalkeeper cheaper, five mil owned by twenty percent. I don't know. if I don't really know if ownership means anything to be honest, Jack. In this game, but but it's Kashper Schmeichel and. I think he's he's a pick worth considering for the future, especially if you're listening to this and you're trying to get some guidance on who to pick. Because if you are planning to do a limitless strategy in game week two, you dodge Denmark's game against Belgium and then you get a game against Finland in game week one and a game against Russia in game week three, which actually, do you know what? Doesn't seem so bad. So so potentially the Danish offer some good options. I think Kasper Schmeichel's in and amongst them as well. Another goalkeeper worth a pick. Otherwise... You're looking at quite a lot of money for, for starting or, or often not even starting goalkeepers for other teams. Uh, unless you go for the Netherlands, where if you can figure out which of their 4.5 goalkeepers is going to start, then great. You're on to a winner. But um, I think it's it's a particularly sort of tricky thing to do. Uh, Tim Krul's in contention. I think Sillison is the one that got injured. Is that right? Yep.
1: Yep. Sillison's out.
0: Yeah. And, and it's a bit of um, well. It's a bit of a pick and mix at the moment, I'll say that. I think what I'll do, rather than just going straight through the defence midfield and the, and the attack in that sort of order, I'm going to go for the other player that I think, or the other three players, Jack, that I think you also have, because they'll be easy to cover. <laughs> Up front, I have Harry Kane, Romelu Lukaku and Burak, is that his name, Burak Gilmaz? Yeah, Burak Gilmaz. Fantastic. I even know some people's names and they're not in the Prem. Oh, <laughs> look at me. Um,
1: I've got those three. I, I'm so certain you have them as well. So I have got two of those three at the moment. I've, I've got I've got Kane and Lukaku. I think I think Lukaku. If Lukaku is not a hundred percent owned by the time that the tournament has started, I feel like people are doing it wrong. Kane and Lukaku are the two highest owned players at the moment. And I know you say you know ownership doesn't mean anything, but I feel like certainly Lukaku being point five cheaper coming off the back of the season that he's had, winning the Serie A with Inter Milan. I I just think that he is fantastic. Being in that Belgium team as well, I know that there are questions about Kevin De Bruyne's fitness. So is he going to have the same supply into him? I feel like there are plenty of talented players in that Belgium side who can get the ball into his feet. Um, And, you know, Lukaku, he's just so physical He's got a fantastic shot on him as well. Um, I honestly, I, I just do not understand any reason why you would avoid having Lukaku in your team. Because quite honestly, I, I just think he's fantastic and he deserves to be in everyone's team. I mean, I've got Kane in there as well, purely based on the fact that, you know, Kane, Kane loves to have a, a massive group stage in these international tournaments. And then he does sort of drop off the radar later down the line. Um, and maybe if, if Kane's not working out, then, you know, what is he? He's 11.5 million. So it's fairly simple to jump off of him to quite literally any other forward in the game. So if, if you think that Kane's having a a bit of an off tournament very early on and you want to change, it's, it's not that difficult to, to change him. Yeah, I've got those two. At the moment, so I did have KDB in my team. And there are doubts, as I say, about his fitness and whether or not he'll be ready to go in game week one if I feel like if he's not ready in game week in, in, in the first game then he'll certainly come into the fold in, in the second group game. But with with KDB out, the placeholder at the moment is quite an expensive one. Um it's only Cristiano Ronaldo is in there in my team at the moment. Um again mainly because as you mentioned earlier, you know you want to try and target the teams who on paper are not good. And Ronaldo in game week one plays against Hungary. So that that's literally the only thinking behind it there. Is he a bit too expensive for the output that he's been getting and, and the sort of drop off in his goal scoring over the last couple of seasons? Possibly. But I just think that Portugal reigning European holders as well. Who knows? Maybe they are looking like they want to go and uh, win it again. Oh, I do. I do like uh, not Lukaku, I do like Ronaldo as a pick. It's
0: very hard to look past one of the best players of all time, isn't it? But I have done that. I don't, so I, I like Yilmaz. Uh, eight mil. I think he's almost a no-brainer because of just how cheap he is compared to the output that he's produced. Um, not just in in the league in the French league for Lille, but but also for Turkey in recent uh, recent games. I guess there's not a lot of data to go on, and it's quite hard to make picks based on stats, but. He's on penalties. He's the absolute focal point of that attack. Uh, a team, obviously, Turkey usually play or can be known as they are today, especially to play a 4 one one which just makes it all about Yilmaz going forwards. I think for eight million in a Turkish team that look like they're, they're quite free scoring at the moment. And, and also with their group as well, it sort of doesn't look too hard. Uh, it, what is it? Italy, Switzerland and, and Wales? I, I don't know. I, I kind of I like that. I like that there's there's a lot of value to be found there. And I think a lot of this game will be finding the value picks so that you can load up on on star players.
1: Well, this is it. I, I, I think certainly a player who, if I know that he's going to be nailed, then he will certainly work his way into my team. Um, again, I'm just waiting to see if we get any indication from the, the last couple of friendlies before the tournament actually starts. It's a player from Spain, Gerard Moreno. Who has caught my eye. Mm. He's in the game as a six point five, which for whatever reason why he's in there as a six point five. You know, he plays for Villarreal, who by the way beat Man United in the okay, it was on penalties, but they still beat Man United in the Europa League final this season. If you look at his 2020, 2021 stats in all competitions across forty five games, he scored thirty goals for Villarreal. That is phenomenal you look at his international stats for spain yes you know maybe he's only just come into the team over the last couple of years but in the euro qualifiers played three matches he's got three goals and three assists and in the world cup qualifier yeah he only played one game but he got a goal in that game i mean if he's a guaranteed nailed on player at 6.5 i feel like he has to be in the team because as you say it allows you to spend the money a bit better elsewhere which Currently at the moment, with having that sort of front attacking free of Ronaldo, Kane and Lukaku, that is, you know, over a third of the budget from the team just gone straight away. You start off with 100 million, that's, what is it, 34.5 million there. So maybe that's something that I'm looking at. But as I say, he's not 100% guaranteed to start every single game. I feel like it is a toss up between him and, of course, Alvaro Morata, but certainly if Moreno gets the nod, or even if Spain decide to start with Moreno and Maratta playing alongside each other, then I think that Moreno is for sure a very, very good budget pick who will get game time and hopefully goals.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, your, your only problem is that then you can't ha- you, you can't get all your forwards in. You've got too many forwards. <laughs> Which honestly, what a beautiful problem to have. Actually, like the natural progression from that is, is for me to talk about my Spanish pick. Actually, Jack, because. I looked at Moreno and I, and I saw that Morata plays games which oh god what's what's happening to Spain that Morata gets to play for them and I noticed that there's one more player who costs a bit more who again his minutes are not as hot as they as they could be but I think he plays often enough and he's he's again he's come into the fold quite recently it's it's Ferran Torres and he's come into the fold recently and he's 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 again putting out great numbers he's scoring a lot of goals Spain actually beat Germany 6-0 quite recently in the Nations League and he was quite integral to that. I like him. I, I like him a lot and he's, he's 8 mil in the game. He's had a great run of form for for Man City and as I mentioned earlier when we did briefly mention the, uh, the 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 Champions League final, which Chelsea won by the way after I predicted that all season, I was worried about him as a danger man and maybe there's a bit of bias there but I think he offers great midfield value from that Spain team and they're honestly a very hard team to work out they've got Danny Olmo as well who sometimes plays and looks like he could be a good option they've got a couple of players who are they have very very difficult names to pronounce if I'm (laughs) being frank I don't know how to go about it I think they've got a good group they have Sweden what is it Poland and and Slovakia yeah in their group and I think there's going to be some options that emerge from Spain who are who are absolutely great value. The reason they're all priced so low is because you just can't bloom I mean, work out who. So I love your pick, and I hope that I've helped you to to be convinced to consider Ferran Torres or maybe Jack. Do you have you don't have him? Do you do you have Ferran Torres? He can't, he's not the sort of player that you'd go for.
1: Well, he he's not currently in my team. Um, he's been someone that I have been looking at. You know, he's certainly. end of the season flurry with Manchester City and the fact that he was starting games a bit more consistently and sort of work I I get it you know he wasn't in the quote-unquote Manchester City number one squad because he wasn't playing a lot in the Champions League and he was being used mainly in the Premier League but I still think he's a fantastic player I still think him sort of adopting that that false nine role for Manchester City certainly has been playing my mind a bit because it may be that they do decide to go with a false nine, with the likes of Ferran Torres occupying that spot because he has done it there in the past. And, and as you say, they do have very interesting options. I think all across the board as well. They are in a relative well. I, as I said earlier, I don't think any group is easy. You know, even Hungary in the group of death. Say, I, I think that they can be very stubborn if, if they wanted to, and I think that they can make it really difficult for the opposing teams to break down. We always know that they're. It's always a, a a team in the tournament who perhaps not a lot of people rate them highly enough, and and they always do come through and and surprise quite a few people. And I'm not saying that that is going to be hungry, but I think that they do have it in them perhaps to you know eke out a couple of nil nil draws maybe. So I don't think that any game is easy. I don't think that any group is easy. But certainly on paper, Spain do have a favourable group, and and I think that it would be just such a Spain thing to do to be out of the limelight for a few international tournaments and then burst straight back into it in the year 2020 i'm not saying spain were going to win it but i think that they can certainly put in a lot of uh attractive displays for for fans across the world
0: it's yeah no i absolutely agree i think these sorts of teams that the teams that aren't being hyped up are usually the teams that sort of come out of nowhere and become really obvious options um but people like to talk about them like they knew about them all along so if Germany or Spain, for example, start or Italy, if Germany, Spain or Italy start doing well, people will say, well, yeah, I totally knew that they'd do well. But but really, everyone's harping on about sort of France, Portugal and Belgium, as far as I'm aware. It, it's very France, Portugal, Belgium orientated it, are the odds of the betting. Um, they They have some good players on paper, but they're all well. Belgium and England are two teams that are very, very. Uh, they've got, they've got poor managers, and they are teams that have historically underperformed in these sorts of situations. So, I would be wary about that, and and I certainly will be. I'm, I'm interested in who else you've got in midfield. I, I've still got Kevin De Bruyne because I, I'm hoping that he's not injured, and I don't want to rip up my team to 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 have a play with it just to find out that he isn't. Because I think if he's not injured. He's a no-brainer, and uh, and I do wonder if you feel the same. And I've also got sort of Mason Mount and Diego Jota or Diogo Jota, who are seven mil for Mount, eight point five for Jota. I don't know if they always start their games. It's it's hard to tell. I I think that they're two two high quality players again with a bit of Premier League bias, um, who are who are worth starting. But I don't know if that actually necessarily happens for 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 the international games. It's hard, It's it's very up in the air for me. I wonder how many of those you've picked. I suspect you've probably got Foden over Mount. What what are you what are you doing in midfield?
1: Well, right now I'm silently laughing to myself because I do have Foden in my team. And to be honest, yeah, I thought so. I thought I'm not, so. I'm not even surprised that you get managed to guess that because I, I sort of had an inkling that if I picked Foden I I had a feeling that maybe you would either have Foden as well or you would go for a different English midfielder and you've gone for Mount and you and I are the biggest Phil Foden fans that I personally know Um, so (laughs) (laughs) I, I just think that he is a great talent he's still got so many years ahead of him and I think that you know throughout the season okay maybe he didn't do as well as he would have perhaps hoped to have done in the Champions League final but as I say he's a young head um, he is very, very talented. He's got plenty of years of football ahead of him. And Southgate, if, if he wants to be going in and attacking games and trying to win as many games as he can in the tournament, then I feel like Foden has to be starting in that side nine times out of ten. Honestly, I honestly do. I think that he is just that good. Of a player, and I I think that there is something severely lacking when we don't have Foden in that team. I know that Grealish is sort of in the argument as well because I think again, Grealish is a fantastic player who offers just something different as well. I think Mount is probably more nailed on than than Foden just because of the variety of options in that attacking line for for the England side. But yeah, I just think that Foden on his day can be a bit more explosive than than Mason Mount, although. I have a feeling that Mount, if some of the uh, more notable sort of set piece takers aren't available, certainly in terms of uh, corners, then I can see Mount stepping up and and taking some of the corners for England as well. So he does potentially have that set piece threat in him. But yeah, it was really a toss up between the two. And I don't, as an England fan... I don't want to triple up on England, even in the group stages. I just don't feel confident enough to have free England players because uh, I just know that we're probably going to be let down once again. You,
0: you don't fancy you don't fancy Harry Kane to take free kicks and corners. I hear I, he's pretty good at corners. Oh,
1: don't please don't. <laughs>
0: Honestly, what what an absolute disaster that was when that went down. So you so you've got Foden. Um, what about your other midfielders? Uh, who have you sort of? Yeah, who have you got in there?
1: Well, this is it. I mean, so looking at my team now and talking about it now is is certainly do i really need to have ronaldo in the team is 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 a question i'm asking myself um because it does soak up so much of the funds that i can use i I can use them much more effectively elsewhere across the pitch and i'm sort of questioning myself as i say you know ronaldo was always put in there as a player who you know Oh, it's an international tournament. Oh, Ronaldo's on set pieces and penalties and he is Portugal's main man. Why would you not have him in there? And and Portugal always seem to perform at another level when it comes to international tournaments. Uh, So I am sort of second questioning or second guessing myself about whether or not I need to actually have Ronaldo in my team and whether or not the money could be spent better in other facets of the midfield. I'm I'm hyping this up, right? I'm, I'm trying to build the tension so that I can let you down with the just calamity of my midfield I've, I, I'm on the edge of my seat I'm, I'm teetering well one player I've got in there who I've have seen in quite a few teams and again is he falls into that category as well of he's not 100% nailed so yes it is a bit of a risk but he looks like he's going to be a decent player for Italy and that is Federico Chiesa who is in the team at the moment seven million plays against Turkey, Switzerland and Wales in the group stage. He is 22% owned. Uh, I mean, the main reason I've got him in there really is because of this whole caveat of being able to change your captain. You know, Italy play the first day of match they won against Turkey. And the captain armband is current, currently on him. And purely based on, as I say, if he doesn't do well, then I can swap it on to anyone else in my team from of course the two other italians who are who are in my side but yeah he's in there because if he plays and if he starts and gets game time i think that he's certainly got goals and assists in him and i think that maybe he's probably Well, i wouldn't say he's being overlooked but certainly in terms of the stats he's maybe going a bit under the radar because i think that you know the likes of insigne um certainly immobile uh they certainly stand head and shoulders above the rest of that offensive italian line but I do think that Chiesa has the chance to pop up with with a couple of goals in, in that group. Um, the other two are a bit disappointing, so I am with a, a 3-4-3, and the other two are a bit... These are the ones where I'm like, well, I, I definitely just need to ditch Ronaldo and, and improve these guys, because I don't. these two players don't fill me with any any real confidence. Uh, it's Socek and David Alaba, who are in there as a midfield. Oh my god, I... You, you just can't drop Suchek, can you? you, just, you just, <laughs> he's always in the team. Well, you know what? Suchek for that Czech Republic side is fantastic. I, can't, I I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I know he's got a very good goal-scoring record for that side, even though he is essentially a, a holding midfielder. But as we know, you know, he's a threat from set pieces. He does like to get forward and, and make runs into the box, as we have seen this season with him at West Ham. It's a tricky group, I'll admit that. Scotland in the first game could be a very good game for him although as we say Scotland did manage to pick up a a draw against uh, the Netherlands in the international friendlies uh, yesterday so maybe Scotland are a team to not take lightly but I think that he can do well in there Um, and again David Alaba I mean he is virtually involved in 50% of everything that that Austrian national side do Um, I think he's pretty much on most of the set pieces I don't know if he's got penalties in his locker certainly not with Arnautovic if Arnautovic is is fitting on the pitch I feel like Arnautovic would be the go-to man from the uh, penalty spot but David Alaba he's been a fantastic servant for them and as I say he's uh, pretty much involved in everything that that Austria side does internationally so he's in there again 5.5 and 6.5 for for those two so saving a bit of money there but as I say it's a uh, I'm looking at it now and I'm not it's not filling me with confidence no
0: no I I can see that I think um a word on on the Italians is that uh Chiesa Chiesa is it Chiesa that you pronounce it I th- I think he is he is more likely to start um but I think it's Berardi that he's fighting for the spot with who isn't bad himself
1: actually (laughs) i think he's been quite well well, that's the thing this is what i'm saying if if kiesa is looking like he's gonna start two out of three of the group games you know if kiesa starts the first game i will expect berardi to come in place in the second game at which point if i'm going to use my limitless chip i don't really care about that and kiesa should come back into the side for the third game so that's the sort of thinking behind that as well is if i am going to be using the limitless chip in the group stages which i think is definitely the best time to use it and if i if i sort of have my match day one squad set up so that i can combat the first and third game in the group effectively then maybe maybe that's that's the uh, the way to do it the the problem then arises of course if he doesn't start the first game and if he's the player that comes in for the second game when i am using my limitless chip i sort of shoot myself in the foot there so again i I understand that he's not nailed um and of course the entire team really is is open to change at the moment because looking back on it now and again I just keep thinking to myself if if Moreno is nailed then bye-bye Ronaldo <laughs> yeah well that's the question that's that's a good that's that's nice I like that bye-bye Ronaldo
0: just getting rid of one of the best players of all time <laughs> I, I like that I I, I... I think my midfield is better than your midfield, which isn't really saying a lot because you know um, I have no idea about the budget enablers yet, and I'm sort of waiting for someone who knows about the teams to tell me who to get. So at the moment, I've just got uh, the, what the four mil midfield midfielder uh, Nago, I think is his name. It, it's just hanging out. He's just hanging out at the moment because I have no idea. Yeah,
1: he is also four. He, he is also fourth on my bench. So yeah,
0: exactly right. <laughs> deep deep on the bench. Um, I like Jota. Again, as I said, I think if he does play, he's, he's a high quality player. The other players that are worth watching out for, and I don't really know if you if you do it in the in the group stage, I think this is one to do later on. Uh, are the are the two German are the two German fielders who are nine point five, uh, Nabri and Sane, who both have so much potential to absolutely pop off in a major way this tournament. The only problem is that a they are quite heavily contested spots. There's quite a few German midfielders. And quite a few different ways that Germany could play that could mean that one of them gets dropped, both of them get dropped. Havertz plays, Werner plays. There's a couple of options they've got there, especially with also Müller coming back into the fold. And um, there was a young chap who I just I just cannot remember his name who scored yesterday for Germany, playing alongside Müller for the first time. So, so there's some there's some real rotation there. There's some real worries, and, and I think they're the sorts of players you probably want to look at later on in the tournament should Germany progress and who everyone will certainly be like oh nabri yeah he's brilliant oh yeah i love nabri i've i've always thought about owning him when actually they haven't no i don't i'm not hearing many people talk about nabri and sane but i think they're worth worth thinking about um and then, then there's like the big ones right the england midfielders who who on earth can you possibly pick like out of sterling and, and sancho and those sorts of bigger hitters it's madness it's hard to pick so so I'm with you Jack. I'm with I'm with waiting. Uh maybe Grealish as well is worth a thought in the future, but for now it's just uh just hang on and see, right? And and see how De Bruyne is, see how other players are. Cuz if De Bruyne is injured, I may just go straight away for Sané. Um because I didn't own him during his good season at Man City at any point. I always thought it was going to flop, so I might do it just for just 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 as a nice sort of, I do believe in you, Sane, I swear, see how it goes. <laughs> I think finally, and this is just the hardest thing to talk about, because this has been the biggest sort of crapshoot, uh, defenders. I don't think we own a single defender who's the same. I, I'm Well, I've got one fodder. I've got a four million who um, who is Danish, I believe. He <laughs> just sat there on the bench. I only picked him because he was highly percentage-owned, and I thought maybe someone knows more than me, but I'll be waiting to see how how that pans out um i don't even know where to begin i i have spent a long time looking at defences that have been played in sort of the more historical well, not historical games but previously by these teams i've been trying to just figure out who plays for who trying to find the bargains it's a bit tricky and as i said well well chelsea may you may not know this, Jack, but Chelsea actually just won the Champions League final, as I predicted. And they're playing five at the back, and there seems to be a bit of a movement recently towards playing five at the back. And I think that there are some serious wing backs to consider, and figuring them out is the next big deal. As a result of that, at the moment in my team, I have uh, Klostermann, the, the German right wing back, who isn't necessarily nailed. I think there's a player called Ginter who plays ahead of him a lot of the time when they play a back four. Or actually, Ginter just plays wherever is necessary in in the defence, and Emre Chan does that too. Although he doesn't actually always play now. Hopefully, if you're German, I guess. And Matt Hummels is back as well. So I'm, I'm I think they might stick to this this five at the back, especially with the with with Hummels returning. And I think if they do that, then Klosterman is nailed as a as a right wing back, and at 4.5, absolute bargain. Even if it is just a group stage where. Germany actually play Hungary in the third game, so owning them for the owning Germans for the first game isn't actually the end of the world if you plan to to limitless in in, in the second week. Um, I've also got Weindahl, who um whose name I just butchered. Owen, I think it's Owen Weindahl, who who plays for the Dutch. Again, four point five. Again, risky rotation pick. Although I think this one's a bit more a bit more likely to pay off because. He's come out and he said he's the best left back in the Netherlands in an interview that I was reading. <laughs> so that's it, right? He's the best. Done. Like, like, do we need to bother? Like, do we need to talk about him? He's the best left back in the Netherlands, Jack. He should be in your team. Although I think uh, Patrick van Arnholt can potentially play instead of him. Although Patrick van Arnholt can't play ahead of Mitchell. So, so how is he going to play ahead of Weindahl? Makes no sense to me. And um, and I think there was someone else that was, that was worryingly likely to take over for him. But but it doesn't matter. He's the best left back in the Netherlands. He's obviously going to play. And then I've got a uh, Spinazzola, which I actually predicted earlier as well, completing the defence. Um, I don't know a lot about him. I picked him mostly because he's got a double Z in his name, which is pretty <laughs> rad. Plays as, I think he plays as a left back. I don't even know that much. But um, I think he's quite attacking. I think he gets opportunities. I, I swear I read some stats somewhere about how involved he is in the attack. And maybe he's just placeholding for like Cancelo or... Uh, Another name that I can't pronounce very well, Munir. You, you pronounce this way better than me. That made me think that you knew something I didn't. Or Sinchenko is another option. He plays as a as a midfielder for the for, for the the Ukraine. I was going to say for Ukraine. I've rambled. There's so many options, and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on defenders because that's what I'm at. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking wing backs and full backs for the teams that I think are just
1: good footballing teams. Yeah. Maybe you've got a different approach. No, I, f- I think certainly that, that is the way that I'm trying to approach it. Um, certainly, I feel like, as you say, I mean, the fullbacks, wingbacks, however you want to refer to them, and whatever position, whatever formations that the teams decide to utilise, I mean, certainly offer a lot more upside than the centre backs. I know, obviously, there is that threat from the corners um, and getting a header, but I think that certainly, if a centre back doesn't get an attack in return and also concedes a goal, it's, you know, you can have a wing-back or a full-back who will concede a goal but also set up a goal and get an assist. So you, they, they also have that extra potential of getting points even if they do concede a goal. So I think that that's certainly where a lot of people are going to be looking at. I do have out in my team at the moment. As you say, the Dutch are a team who I think over the last couple of years in international games, they have been playing with pretty much a 4-3-3 throughout all of their qualifying and and all of their sort of international games they played was it yesterday against scotland as i mentioned earlier they drew that 2-2 and they played with three at the back five at the back however way you want to look at it but they played a different system and i've seen a lot of people who have been i wouldn't say angry but certainly annoyed and and perhaps a bit upset about the way that they played because the Dutch are a very good side, you know. Okay, they they've had their mishaps over the last couple of years in terms of not competing at the level as 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 they would perhaps be expecting to compete at. Certainly, with the way that the youth system at Ajax just keeps on pushing out these top quality players year in year out, and it's not worked out for them. But they do love scoring goals, um, and and I think that they are very creative and a very Attractive team to watch, but playing with a different system, it does maybe make you second guess a little bit. I mean, they conceded two goals to Scotland, maybe the Dutch defense is something to just be a bit cautious about. Although, as you say, playing with a, a 4.5 wing back, I mean, you can never really go wrong with that. I do have the guy that you struggle to pronounce, Thomas Mounier, in the team, so he has sort of been in and out of the squad for PSG um this season. He has had his injury doubts, I think, as well. Um, obviously there is that threat in terms of rotation in t- with Timothy Castagna, who has uh you know really come into his own this season uh with Leicester. Uh, so there may be a bit, a bit of rotation there. He is five point five so he is a bit more expensive, but he is starting in the game this evening for Belgium. So that does fill me with a bit more well gives me a bit more confidence but they're playing against Greece so who knows I mean Castanya isn't starting so again read into that however you want to read into that but Thomas Moyniere is there he's got a fantastic attacking potential as well and I think he's uh, he does play very far forward uh, when he's occupying that right flank for Belgium and again for him to potentially be whipping balls into the box for the likes of Romelu Lukaku it can only mean good things. And I have got an Italian defender in my side, so as I mentioned earlier, I do have triple Italy at the moment, and I've gone with uh, Florenzi, not Spinozola, and maybe that's a bit more of a boring option, shall we say, because although I'm fairly confident that he's 100% nailed, historically he's not offered as much going forward as Spinozola has when Spinozola has played for that Italian international side, so... It's really, again, weighing up the options of do, you, do, I, do I want to go with someone who has got a bit more of an attacking threat but may not be nailed or do I want to go with someone who is playing for that Italian defence who can get forward at times if required but maybe he doesn't have as high a ceiling as the likes of Spinozola and I've gone with Florenzi, and I know that he's I think, 0.5 more expensive than Spinozola. So again, it's all about weighing up. As you say, it's all about trying to find these budget options who are playing a lot of games and who are in a team that are defensively sound my two defenders on my bench I've actually gone for a Turkish defender they're right back Selik who is playing uh, in the squad this evening as well and I've gone I'm probably going to butcher uh, the way that you say this name but he's a 4.5 defender from Denmark and it's Joachim Meili I think his name is Meili he's got that uh, a joined with the e I, I, I don't know, you know, we're going to butcher these names throughout the time that we're talking about the Euros. So maybe we should have said that at the start of the podcast and not towards the end. But we are just going to completely butcher these names. But Mailey is in there. I think he plays, I think he's pretty much nailed in that Danish side. Um, and again, you know, you mentioned earlier, if you go with the likes of Mailey, and if you limitless in game week two, when they play Belgium you've only really got to have him there for the game against Finland and the game against Russia and again with Florenzi in the side maybe it would feel a bit it would feel a bit wrong to perhaps start Mele over Florenzi but you can always just start Florenzi and if he doesn't keep a clean sheet bring on melee or if any of the players who are playing before Mele plays don't keep a clean sheet you can always just sub him off of the bench So I do have a couple of players on the bench who can be bought on for the team. I think having Nego on the bench, I I don't think anyone really knows anything about him. I think everyone just sees a 4.0 midfielder and just definitely jumps on him because he's going to be saving you a whole bunch of money. So he is selected by 42%, but I don't know how guaranteed he is to get game time or, or how offensively he will contribute to that Hungarian attack in a group with the likes of Portugal, France, and Germany. So maybe he's a bit of a a red herring. And, and like I say, if I get rid of Ronaldo and potentially use the the saved money to increase the other areas of my midfield, then maybe it gives me a bit more of a flexibility in terms of the players who I can you know substitute on between uh between games within the same match day.
0: I actually do own Joachim. Uh, I was gonna pronounce it Mal. With like a, a weird, like not a weird, with like a Scandinavian twang on it, like a mahal. But um I do own him as well, actually. He's on my bench too, although maybe he comes on for Klosterman. I think that that's a great sort of point to end it on, where you're sort of saying what I'm thinking, which is, this is a big week. If you want to do well, it's a big week to observe injuries, to observe how teams play. And then when we come back next week, we'll have our fantasy teams. We'll have our hype for the tournament and we'll be ready to go. But at the moment, there's just far too many question marks, isn't there, around who's going to play, who's injured, and whether Kevin De Bruyne will look good in a face mask. I honestly, I don't think he will. But that's because I don't think he looks good without a face mask. (laughs) On that note, I think catch us next week. We'll have some dead set teams, some big opinions and some hot takes. And uh, we'll be prepping for the Euros the day after.